Hello there and welcome to the Happiness Project podcast the podcast which has touched more than 12000 lives and has evolved in more than 60 countries and is also available on 10 plus platforms please do subscribe and listen to the Happiness Project podcast so that you never miss a single episode on this show you can also read and write a review on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher or any other platform that you're listening this podcast on because your support will go a long way. You're now listening to the relationship series with Rena Jain who is a mental health expert, a qualified psychologist and a wellness coach. Questions are now being accepted on this podcast so once again do not forget to send in your questions related to the topic being discussed No matter our relationship status no one has gone through life always winning at the game of love I mean it no one we all laugh we cry we stumble and fumble and sometimes we strike gold so the relationship series is going to give you an insight into the oh so conventional hitches from i am right he is wrong guilt tripping fit drawing personal attacks empty promises insecurities jealousy contempt infidelity stonewalling unresolved issues lack of communication invalidation or the trust issues whatever issue that is triggering the fallout in your relationship it all comes down to one simple thing getting your inside right so your relationship naturally falls into place today i am going to be in conversation with someone so so special her name is jory rose jory rose is a licensed marriage and family therapist mindfulness and meditation teacher coach author speaker and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world jory has helped thousands of people to live happier and more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion allowing them to decrease their stress anxiety and shed unhealthy habits patterns and mindsets in this episode Jory takes us through her journey of being stuck and how mindfulness practice shifted her life and transformed her into changing the lives of so many people out there. She has been guiding people to consciously create the life that they want to live by, helping them get unstuck from what is no longer serving them. She says, "Cultivate a mindfulness practice. Rewrite your story." and rewire your brain 
Jory is also a host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored two mindfulness books Squirmy Learns to be Mindful and Mindfulness It's Elementary and has been featured in Oprah Mag, NBC News, Business Insider, KTL News and many more. So without any delay let us now welcome our very special guest Jory Rose. Hey Jory so so good to have you on my show finally. Thank you so much Rena for having me. So happy to be here. We're finally doing this. I remember when I received your email saying that we had already met at a conference in Long Beach. I think that was the moment I knew for certain that we were supposed to connect. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Sometimes the universe brings us together even if we maybe met in a past life somewhere. <laughs> I know, I know. And I mean, how are you doing considering the protests and the civil unrest happening in your community? I mean, how are you yeah. managing it all? Yeah, thank you for asking. You know, it's been very interesting times being a therapist and helping people and hold space for people with for months now of what's arisen with COVID has right. been um you know, it, it's an interesting time that we live in and at the root of it I feel really grateful to have the tools that not only help me but I can share in others holding the space for what to do with these overwhelming emotions and thoughts and fears and anxieties and now we add on top of covid all that's gone on with the racial uh, inequality and the fight for justice and you know I'm in northern california and I'm in a not a small town I'm in the suburbs of the San Francisco Bay area and right. we experienced protests and some looting nearby and our our little town was all boarded up so it's it's definitely mm-hmm. an eye-opening awareness Absolutely. around mm-hmm. all of the heightened emotions we're feeling on so many universal levels Absolutely I know I mean everyone's been waiting for for some better days for good days to come And you know I'm I'm a big believer in there are no accidents and so I have the ability yeah. to step back from all the chaos and all the pain and all the suffering and it's my belief system that this is the universe asking us hey you guys are you paying attention it's time to wake Absolutely. up it's time to be aware we've been living on autopilot with the perception of safety and security and i think covid unveiled that perception totally. and now what we're experiencing with the inequality that since civil rights and even since <laughs> the civil war haven't really been fixed Absolutely. i my heart hurts for those who are in deep suffering and mm-hmm. i believe it's a call to action i know i i think this is an opportunity for each one of us to kind of sit back and reflect on it's an opportunity should we choose to accept it you know, i it's know like mission impossible <laughs> here's your mission should yeah. you choose to accept it and so many people are afraid to lean into the discomfort that it takes to be able to create the change because change does not come without pain and discomfort growth does not come without some suffering first absolutely so, i think that is exactly where personal growth begins and that brings us to another question of journey forward so yes. i would like for you to dive into it and let our listeners know about your journey how has it been you've been a licensed therapist for about 
two decades. Tell us something about yourself. Yeah, my journey, um, like many people, was not a straight line. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, I like to say I was raised with fear and anxiety on a silver platter. Um, you know, a lot of people have fear based on what ifs. And in my family and in my family's history, a lot of those what ifs were actual realities. And so my fear was rooted in this isn't just a, a scenario that my mind is creating. A lot of my fears and anxiety were rooted in real traumas that had happened. And that deeply shaped my perception and my choices and my sense of needing safety and security to be able to move forward. And um, I woke up one day in my early 30s and said to myself, I don't remember how I got here. I don't remember making the conscious choices because I had just done what was next, what was next, what was next, what was next. And I partially did that to try to create some safety around the unknown. And I had already had a master's in counseling psychology and right out of graduate school, I started my hours toward becoming a therapist and I was very young at the time. And I really had no life experience outside of the traumas that were in my family and family history. I had no personal life experience (laughs) of really overcoming those challenges or those growth points. And even though I had got halfway through the 3,000 hours to become licensed, yeah, I decided I needed to stop because I, I, it wasn't the right time for me to become anybody's therapist. And, <laughs> um, I had married my high school sweetheart who I'd been with since I was 13 years old. And we had two amazing daughters and I loved every moment of being able to be a stay-at-home mom. But then that moment, you know, in my early 30s, I realized I needed to figure out who I was outside of my roles of being a wife and being a mom I didn't know my own identity and I decided to go into therapy and it was my first day sitting on the therapist couch that I thought this room feels really good and this space felt really familiar and I wanted to go back for my hours and so that reignited that path I had lost the 1500 hours I had already gained. So I had to start from scratch again, Mm -hmm. but that was okay. That was what my journey was meant to take me on. And it was when I started that path again, that I discovered mindfulness practice. I had no idea what mindfulness was. I had never meditated a day in my life. I thought that was something quote other people did. I didn't think it was something, you know, as me, a suburban busy mom, (laughs) you know, could have time for it. And I delved in and it started to change my life because for the first time I was able to slow down. Mm -hmm. For the first time I was able to exhale. For the first time Mm -hmm. I was able to get out of my head and into my body to get out of the habit of overanalyzing, over justifying, overthinking, living in my head and believing that that was my truth. And once I got still and I was able to sink into who am I, what's at my core, I realized I needed to make some big changes in my life. And um, one was continuing the path to get my license. And one was a couple years later, I ended up getting divorced and, you know, talk about everything that I had created around safety and security. I made the conscious choice to let the unknown no longer be a scary place Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I realized 
it was actually in the unknown where everything I was seeking resided. Totally. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, over the course of about, I guess, the past 10 years, really have delved deeper into mindfulness, both personally and professionally. I've got a couple of kids' books published. One is wow. called Squirmy Learns to Be mm-hmm. Mindful, which teaches young, like preschool-age children, some foundational tools of being present and gratitude mm-hmm. and patience and what to do with our anxious, wiggly bodies and minds <laughs> and how to breathe. And the other book is called Mindfulness, It's Elementary. And this is mm-hmm. a guide that a teacher, an educator, a school counselor, even a parent could guide their child through a 12-step mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. So this book has exercises, meditations, activities, games to bring Mm -hmm. mindfulness into kids' worlds. And though that's where the books I've gotten published, it's not where my greatest passion lies. I I kind of joke, I think mindfulness is the answer (laughs) to everything. Uh because no matter if you're sitting in traffic or dealing with cancer or dealing with the worldwide pandemic or dealing (laughs) with protests you know in your community right it's all about how you respond and not react absolutely so what exactly is the practical application of mindfulness and how does it differ from meditation Yes, thank you for asking because so many people confuse the words and and use them interchangeably, mindfulness and meditation, and they're very different practices. Mm -hmm. And I'll say I I feel like I've become quite skilled in teaching the practical application because when I first started learning, and I'm telling you, I was sitting with the top teachers in the country. I went on retreat with the best of them and I was still confused because it felt Mm -hmm. so esoteric. And that was also 10 years ago. So since then, Western science (laughs) has given us a lot more scientific backing of what's happening in our brain and our bodies. And so there's been more secular application. Mm -hmm. And I still think people are learning. So let me start by saying how I define mindfulness. Sure. Mm -hmm. I define it as living with greater awareness. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Greater attention Mm -hmm. and greater intention. So let me break those down a little bit more. Greater awareness of what's arising both inside of you and around you. So what's going on inside of us is our thoughts, our emotions, our sensations in our body. And what's going on outside of us are distractions, people, relationships, the world, our devices, right? (laughs) So we, you know, increasing awareness, just paying attention. What's what's coming up for me right now? Because we tend to not pay attention. Mm -hmm. So... When I say the word attention, what is it that I am wanting people to pay more attention to is to notice the typical habits, their patterns, their mindsets, their tendencies, their reactions, Mm -hmm. what they normally do when those thoughts, emotions, sensations, or distractions come up. Mm -hmm. Because oftentimes those habits, those patterns, those mindsets are often unskillful They keep us on autopilot. Mm -hmm. They keep us unaware. They keep us from leaning into what's hard. So we end up Mm -hmm. resisting and pushing away and denying and ignoring what we don't like. Mm -hmm. And we tend to cling and grasp and hold on to and attach to what we do like. And by Mm -hmm. doing so, we cut ourselves off of more than half the human experience, right? 
which comes to the last word of intention, mm -hmm. which goes back to that idea of getting off autopilot. You know, because so many of us, I mean, pre-COVID, mm -hmm. we would get in our cars and we would drive to work or take our kids to school every day or drive to the market and pick up, you know, our, our groceries. And we do that without even noticing and paying attention. It's almost like the car knows where it's going. I know. And like so many people, I, I would imagine as you're listening, think about this of, you know, have you ever driven somewhere and gotten there and said, I don't remember driving here. How did I get here? It's like, well, my car was on autopilot. I just go through the motions of my day. But mm -hmm. If we're doing that in our cars, we're likely doing that in our lives. Totally, yeah. So having intention is to get clear on why am I doing what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. To get off that autopilot and to get into the driver's seat of your own lives, to be consciously awake and aware mm -hmm. of your actions, noticing your emotions, noticing how to respond versus react. And so part of our ability of increasing this awareness Mm -hmm. is we allow ourselves to have less over-identification mm -hmm. with whatever's coming up. Because oftentimes we over-identify with our thoughts and our emotions. We think this is who I am mm -hmm. versus this is what I'm experiencing in this moment. Mm -hmm. And when you can observe what's arising in that awareness, you're creating some space. And in that space gives you a chance to say, oh, look, this is what's happening right now. What do I want to do about it? Let me be yes. conscious and aware in my choices okay. and my responses. Mm -hmm. So that to me is mindfulness. So uh -huh. to get to the other question uh -huh. of how does that differ from meditation? Right. So meditation is a formal practice. Mm -hmm. It is creating the space as this is how I define meditation because <laughs> oftentimes people get stuck in not meditating because they have a lot of assumptions and judgments about what it is and is not. Right. So I like to break that down really simply as well. Many people assume to meditate, you have to be in a particular body position and that you are supposed to have no thoughts. I was just about to say that. So there's so much of misconception wherein people think they need to stop their mind when they're meditating, yes. but I think it's not about that. It's not about it at all. And if that's your assumption of the definition, as soon as you sit down and have a thought, the immediate reaction is going to be to say, oh, I can't do this. This isn't for me. I know. Why bother, right? <laughs> so people also assume that when they meditate, they're going to feel peaceful and zen-like afterwards. That it's going to be like this little mini vacation of their mind or their day. And that's not the case either. Right. So to define meditation simply, as I define it, of course, is to create space for stillness and silence to allow whatever's arising to exist without judging what's arising. So there's also two components of a meditation. And it's confusing because sometimes they can be viewed as a paradox and in competition with one another. Mm -hmm. One component of meditation is what's called open monitoring. That's just simply allowing what's arising to exist and just noticing, I'm just allowing. The other component is focused attention. So if you have something that grounds you mm -hmm. into the present moment, most often it's your breath. Mm -hmm. But for some people, the breath isn't always accessible. And if you have anxiety or trauma or respiratory issues, the breath is not even a good thing mm -hmm. to use as your anchor. So maybe you ground into the sensation of your feet on the ground 
or maybe you ground into the position of your hands in your lap or maybe you ground into sounds that you hear or smells right so you can utilize your environment or the senses the same way you can utilize your breath right although the breath does have uh, physiological components of calming the brain and the body but not everyone's going to be able to access their breath and that doesn't mean you can't meditate <laughs> so when you have this grounding mm-hmm. um, object of attention right. as the mind begins to wander off you can say oh look there it goes and then bring it back so I attribute the mind to a hyper puppy mm-hmm. now the puppy is just being a puppy Right. And he's going to do what he's going to do until you train him to do otherwise. Mm-hmm. So you don't get mad at the puppy, you simply train the puppy. So we can do the same thing with ourselves. When our mind wanders off, mm-hmm. we don't have to judge ourselves and saying oh, I'm not good at this. We can simply say, "Oh, look, there it goes." And let me just tug on that leash and bring my mind back. And that awareness is the ability to say, "Oh, look, there it goes." and the ability to bring it back is that breath or that mm-hmm. grounding object of attention to bring you back to the here and now so mm-hmm. here's the thing our meditation practice mm-hmm. informs our mindfulness practice which is to say mm-hmm. every time we sit in meditation and we respond mm-hmm. rather than react to whatever is arising right our brain is creating new pathways And if we can do that in meditation, we can do that in everyday life. Totally. And yeah. we have a new ability to get out of autopilot now. So it's kind of like meditation is going to the gym and doing weights and mindfulness is being stronger in your everyday life to do what you want to do. Right. So right. you can't be stronger without going to the gym. Yeah. <laughs> I can't just I can't just sit here and think about I want to have a you know a tighter core. I actually mm-hmm. got to do the work. Absolutely. So the, the meditation mm-hmm. is the foundation of the practice to help mm-hmm. increase our awareness, right. to help us pay attention and in in essence rewire our brain towards those new habits so we have an easier time to access the new habit mm-hmm. in everyday life. Right. So how can a regular person incorporate mindfulness into their lives especially if they've never practiced it before Start really small and really simple mm-hmm. because I know when I first started I was told that I had to meditate for 20 to 40 minutes a day for it to be quote valid My and God. I thought to myself there's no way in hell if I've got 20 to 40 minutes a day <laughs> I guarantee it's not going to be doing that I know So I actually started in my car. Mhm. And what I did was I got present. Mhm. And what I did is I turned off the music, I put down the phone, and I just actually paid attention to where I was. Mm-hmm. And I got conscious of my breath and I would slowly breathe in and slowly breathe out. And I noticed the cars around me, I noticed the surroundings, and I found that when I did that, I got to wherever I was going with a little bit more presence and calm. Mm-hmm. Because I utilized the time that I otherwise would stay distracted or try to multitask and I used it to my advantage because when my kids were in my car that was like a gift of time. I know. That was my ability to say no one's needing me right now. No one's asking anything of me. I can only be where I am. 
So how can I utilize this space and time mm -hmm. to increase my awareness, attention, and intention? Because I want to go back with just one moment to the practical application of it. The reason this matters mm -hmm. is people are really stressed. Yeah, they people are. People worry all the time about what if and worst case scenarios. People are reactive to not only their environment, but in their relationships. Mm -hmm. People are constantly in judgment of themselves and others. Mm -hmm. We are disconnected. We are not present. We don't know how to manage our emotions. Mm -hmm. This is what mindfulness helps with. Because right. when we can be aware of what's mm -hmm. arising and being present in mm -hmm. our relationships, in our communities, we have the ability mm -hmm. to create more empathy, more compassion, more connection, mm -hmm. and to worry less. I mean, this is where the majority of people I work with get stuck. Right. They're always worrying. And they feel that worrying almost is a defense against the worst case scenario from actually happening. <laughs> it feels like they're being proactive in trying mm -hmm. to prevent against it. Right. And all the worry does is increase more worry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as you increase more worry, your brain is in a fight, flight, freeze mode. Yeah. And so it's almost like your brain is subconsciously looking towards confirmation biases mm -hmm. to affirm why you're worrying. So you're on guard all the time, which means you're reactive, right. which means you have likely an elevated heart rate. Mm -hmm. And so until we can understand what's not working in our lives mm -hmm. this is a solution to whatever's not working right? right if you're if you're constantly arguing with your partner well how about we slow down and breathe so mm -hmm. we can see more clearly what's actually the root of this argument mm -hmm. as opposed to just reactive and defensiveness mm -hmm. or can i get curious and compassionate of not only what's arising in my own body and thoughts and emotions, but can I be curious and compassionate to what my partner is experiencing? And how right. might the conversation shift if I say, wow, you look really angry right now. I'm mm -hmm. wondering really what's coming up for you. Mm -hmm. It changes everything. So I find that most people want to worry and stress less. Yeah. And most people want to feel happier and more content. Right. And the reason mindfulness helps solve those things is because we often look outside of the present moment mm -hmm. for that happiness and contentment. Right. And reality is all we have is right now. Mm -hmm. Because if we, you know, the mind, the mind wanders over 40% of the time. I think it's actually higher, but the studies say 40%. Mm -hmm. Where does the mind go? Well, it goes to the past where we ruminate. Right. And we can even ruminate on something really positive. If we ruminate on the early parts of our relationship, when we were high in desire and limerence mm -hmm. and, you know, that positive oxytocin dump of the good feeling chemicals, well, that don't last forever. But if we ruminate even on the best parts of something in the past, we're going to judge what's happening right now. Yeah. And if we, our mind goes to the future and all those what ifs, it's going to take us out of what's happening right now. So, you know, to go back to that practical application piece, 
Right. It's a solution for understanding something's not working. I'm either reactive, I'm not present, I feel disconnected, I am cut off from my emotional experience and therefore the emotions of others. I want to try to fix and solve rather than just sit with. <laughs> right. So I just wanted to ask you whether how can mindfulness help couples better navigate their emotions? How could they practice that? So it's a little bit of what I was just saying of, you know, coming mm-hmm. to any interaction right. with curiosity and compassion. <laughs> because we often bring with us mm-hmm. into our relationships a lot of our past right and like my fiance and I were both divorced and he's also he's a psychologist so we also are very like-minded and, and skilled in this language <laughs> and I understand most people wouldn't have this language but he and I have the ability to get curious and aware when something's coming up with us to say not only you know i'm curious what what's going on for you right now what are you experiencing what what are you thinking but also to say is this about me or is this maybe about something from your marriage or your ex-wife or maybe from childhood because we bring with us our past mm-hmm. and without awareness that past can take over the present right but if you're coming from a place of curiosity and compassion you're allowing and accepting whatever is arising mm-hmm. and if you can stay present you have an easier time of working through it versus every time i go into an interaction if i'm carrying a resentment with me from something from last week or last year or 10 years ago mm-hmm. it's going to prevent me from being really present right right totally so there's mm-hmm. foundations of mindfulness some of the mindsets to adopt is to allow and accept what's arising mm-hmm. to compassion over judgment Mhm. <laughs> choose gratitude. You know, couples often aren't grateful with each other, even for the right. smallest of things. They have an assumption, "Oh, it's your job to take out the garbage. Why should I say thank you?" Mm-hmm. It's your job to drive the kids to school. Why should I appreciate that you did that? Mhm. You know, so the more we can bring into these mindsets and these practices, right. what we are able to do is be more connected. Totally, yeah. So since you mentioned about gratitude I also wanted to ask you if there is something couples can do to shift their way of thinking and invite better thoughts into their minds about their relationship on a more consistent basis Absolutely you know and it, it's all a practice mm-hmm. it's not a perfect so you know you're never going to be perfect at it but you can always have the intention to keep practicing And studies show that for couples to thrive in relationship there needs to be a 5 to 1 ratio of positives to negatives. We're going to inherently have those negatives that are going to withdraw from our emotional bucket. Mm-hmm. If we don't have enough there in reserves then we become depleted. Right. So one of the things that I like to do is what the John and Julie Gottman who are some of the top researchers on relationships mm-hmm. they call it small things often. So you don't have to be big, you know, grand overtures of appreciation. Right. It's the small little things because there's this notion that relationships become death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm. It's the little things. It's not the big, it's not the big things. Mm-hmm. It's a compiling of the little things over time. Right. So to be able to counteract that with small positives 
you know, understanding your partner's love language and being mm-hmm. able to give them what they actually need, not what you think they need and not what you need, right. but to get to know your partner's needs, mm-hmm. understanding that by you honoring their needs, they're going to have an easier time honoring yours in return. coming from that place of compassion and part of how we can build the gratitude is understanding Mm -hmm. that how our brains are designed with a negativity bias Mm -hmm. that our brains have been designed to focus on what's wrong correct and it takes conscious awareness to shift out of that evolutionary pattern Mm -hmm. that pattern was designed when we were cavemen when we had to be on constant alert for Mm -hmm. a threat to our lives Right. So, you know, that negativity bias doesn't really serve us because we mm-hmm. are looking for problems. Right. So we have to start, first start with the awareness to say, oh, look at that. Mm. I'm getting stuck on that negativity bias. I'm focusing on what's wrong rather than looking for what's right. Once right. I have the awareness that I'm stuck on the negative, I have mm-hmm. a choice. Right. I can shift. If I choose, mm-hmm. I can choose to shift to focusing on the good. The more I make that conscious choice and mm-hmm. I can look for the good, the easier it is to dwell in the good. And it's mm-hmm. it really, I mean, and science backs this up, that it's giving us the ability to almost put on a different lens through which to see the world. Mm-hmm. You know, since you spoke about, you know, you have a choice because there was a time in your life when you decided to take control over your life. So can you tell us as to how can we learn to shift our emotions and mindset by using the power of choice. Choice is always available to us. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions to ask people is, where are you stuck? Mm-hmm. And for some people, that's going to be in their relationship, in their career, in their identity, right? We all get stuck. Right. And. My follow-up question is to say, how is stuck serving you? Mm-hmm. And always the next answer is always, it's not, this is horrible. I hate this. I'm unhappy. I'm, I'm discontent. I don't know who I am. I'm in this loveless or sexless marriage, or I hate my career, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. They will always say it does not serve me being stuck. My next question <laughs> is what is the benefit you're gaining by staying stuck? Because there's always, there's a secondary benefit Mm -hmm. and the benefit is it gives them an identity. Right. They know how to do it. They may not like it, but it's familiar. Mm -hmm. And so once we recognize what we are gaining by staying stuck, we then can recognize what are we willing to let go of to become unstuck. And, you know, part of where I think this concept of choice comes in is people might say, I didn't choose this circumstance, mm-hmm. you know, especially people who've had trauma, they didn't choose this. Right. So this idea of choice can, people can get very defensive around mm-hmm. and yet, yes, you're right. You did not choose this to happen and you can always choose how you respond to it. Totally. Yes. So there's always an ability to choose to respond differently. And a lot of times when people are stuck in their lives, it's not try harder. It's try different. Try different. Right. It's do something differently because people think that to make a change, they've got to make like a 90% shift. Mm -hmm. It's got to be a big drastic change. But in essence, a 1% shift over time creates you on an entirely different trajectory. Right. So it can be really small 
to get you unstuck from what's not working. But when you can recognize, wait, I can do one percent. Yeah, it's all I about taking that. one step at a time. It's just it's just one step, and let it be okay that you don't know where that step is going. Mm-hmm. But it's forward, and that's to me the journey forward. You mentioned journey forward right. in the beginning, and that's my branding because that's the journey forward. Is it's the one mm-hmm. percent shift? It's the one step. Right. Recognizing. at least if we're having forward momentum we're getting unstuck right but it doesn't have to be very big or very far mm-hmm. it helps to have the compassion along the way mm-hmm. right to recognize right. that um this is hard the compassion is to say to yourself this is really hard right now and i can still take that step forward right you know i mean this has been such an insightful conversation with you jory I mean I do not want this episode to end but since we are moving towards the end of this episode I just want you to give the best piece of advice for couples out there when they feel like their relationship is falling apart It's the advice I give for everything to get started is take a minute and just breathe <laughs> If you can calm if you can take that moment to just breathe and hit the pause button Like literally imagine like hitting the pause on, you know, the remote control. Just hit the pause button. Allowing yourself to take a minute and just breathe will calm your brain. It'll calm that overreactive pattern and tendency when the emotional brain has taken over and you've lost access to the your resources. Mm-hmm. It'll calm your body. It'll get you back into the present moment. It'll help you come back to your intentions. It'll help you remember your curiosity and compassion. And if you can just take a minute and just breathe and even acknowledge what's arising, well, wow, this is really hard. I don't know how to communicate forward. I feel really stuck right now. I'm still really angry. It gives us just that little bit of space. Right. And in that space we get to choose our response. <laughs> and you know, I've even suggested to some couples even if it feels really hard to take that pause and you can't look each other in the eye okay maybe you know go in a separate room give yourself some room to calm down but i've also guided couples in the practice of sitting back to back and just breathing allow yourselves to help calm each other's physiology and it can be a little bit safer not having to make eye contact sometimes So you can look for these opportunities to calm the brain, calm the body, allow yourself to come back into present moment, come back into that gratitude, compassion and awareness. Stay with curiosity and just acknowledge. And again, even just acknowledging that we're feeling stuck and this is really hard automatically gets you unstuck because as soon as you acknowledge it, you're out of it. Right. Doesn't mean it's gone away. It just means you're not sucked into the feeling of having no choice because you're off autopilot right lovely it was so lovely speaking with you today jory i'm so glad to have you on my show thank, thank you, you so, so much. much for having me on <laughs> thank you so much thank you for joining the happiness project podcast stay tuned and make sure you never miss a single episode of the show by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you so thank you for all your support and if you like this episode 
please do share it with as many people as you can because sometimes all it takes is one push for someone to transform their lives let this podcast be the push